Welcome to The Favorites, the podcast from the Volume Podcast Network. I am Chad Millman. It's Thursday, which means it is time to narrow down the NFL board. Me and my BFF, my companion, my compadre, professional better, Simon Hunter. That's what we're going to do. We're trying to narrow down the board to get to the five, six, seven picks that we love. Come Sunday morning, those will be our five best. We're going to put them in the free award-winning Action Network app. Simon will also share them on Twitter. Simon, you are a professional better. Action Network is a company that serves people interested in sports betting with content, data, research picks. As I said, download our free award-winning Action Network app. Such an interesting week, Simon. How are you, buddy? Good, buddy. Yeah, this is... uh... It's an ugly week, but it's one of those weeks I kind of love where I opened up my, you know, my different apps Sunday night. I saw these lines and I was like, uh, and now here we are on Thursday. I'm just like, man, I kind of love these games. So I, that's usually how it goes with these uh, week five, week six kind of bets. Yeah, I've been thinking the same thing. Like Sunday night, Monday morning, I didn't like anything. And now all of a sudden I'm seeing opportunities galore. I want to remind people, we've been talking about this book, It's Better to Be Feared on the podcast for the past few months. Uh, Seth Wickersham wrote it. It's about the Patriots dynasty, Brady, Belichick, Kraft. I'm saying this as a seven-time author, four-time bestseller. Chad Millman wrote a book. It's as good a sports book as you're ever going to read. We had Seth on the podcast. He's going to come up later in the show. We're going to talk about it. Simon and I spoke to him. What was really interesting to me and why I think betters would be interested in this. He, in the book, he talks a lot about mental strength, mental training, discipline, all the things that Tom Brady has built his career on. I think there's some incredible opportunity to hear about that. We got a lot to discuss. Like we said, that board is turning our way. We had six, seven, eight games that we liked on Thursday. We will get to um, the big balls bet of the week. We will get to a money line parlay. The foxhole game from this past week where we're jumping into the foxhole. Miami is a double digit dog. So we will discuss that in more depth. Our Simon Says game was the Giants, meaning just go bet it right away. That line has already moved from seven and a half down to seven. Still opportunity. We're going to talk about that too. And to all the people hitting us up saying they're not getting the best of the number because they don't listen to the show until Saturday. Go to the Favorites Podcast, subscribe, and download on Tuesdays. What can we do, people? We're giving these numbers out on Tuesday. Subscribe to the show and uh, download the show on Tuesday, man. Before we get to anything else, we got to do sharp calls. Hello. Who's there? I'm talking. Ring, ring, telephone ring. Somebody said, baby, what you doing? Simon, please tell us. The calls you received this week from your professional betting buddies and how they responded to some of what we discussed on Tuesday. A lot of shit talking. They're, they hate me that I didn't say I love the Bengals. Apparently, this has to be one of our five, Chad. I, I, I say I, a good a good ass kicking for me is maybe three or four pros to call me up and tell me I'm an idiot. I had 10, 10 different ones hit me up, either email, phone call or text. Tell me I'm an amateur that. I'm a coward. I said I needed Bengals three and a half. I didn't give out Bengals at a three. Simon Hunter, professional coward. That's shaping up to be, to me, the biggest pros versus Joes game. I, the pros love this number. That's why it's not going back to the three and a half. That's why all the money in the world's coming in on Green Bay, and it's not moving. It's just sitting there at three. So this, this, uh, this ain't going to be a choice, Chad. I think we have to put it in just because my honor is being put on the line. Um, and the second one was, you were right. 
It's hard for me to say that, Chad, but the pros were with you on the Chargers. <gasps> Chad Millman got something right. Uh, they they hated my Browns pick. They think Baker was hurt. Came out today, Baker is hurt. Pretty much gave me a, a, a good ass kick in saying that. How did I not know that? How did I not reach out to sources? I'm kind of missing one here on the Chargers, but I just thought it was a fishy line. That was the only reason I was so scared of it, but... Yeah, now now we've hit a point now where char- Chargers might be one of our five, but I need to hear more and learn more about this Baker injury because if this is for real and he's going against that defense of the Chargers, yeah, the, I have no doubt me and Chad are going to love this come Sunday. Oh, my God, dude. So I, we're going to – let's dig in deeper. I had come around to the Browns and was all over the Bengals with you, even at three. Um, so I'm glad to see everybody's still thinking about it that way. Let's first talk about the Texans and the Patriots. That number right now, Texans plus nine and a half. Ugh, so ugly. But look, here's a system for you, right? Are you ready? Here's something. I know you love the systems, Simon, so I'm going to give you one. Here's a system right now. Since 2003, NFL underdogs coming off of three straight losses are covering at a 58% rate as a sample size of well north of 300 games. Covers the Texans, Dolphins, Eagles this week. And we like it for the Texans for sure. Home dog. Only one offensive lineman starter is practicing right now for the Patriots. They have injuries across the board. And again, they sold out completely to beat that Tom Brady in that game. I know people. I, I see the quarterback of Houston. Mills is not that good. And the kid's terrible. He's not a starter. This is more a bet on Houston's defense and this and them having home field advantage where I know historically Belichick has owned the Houston team, but that was with that was with Brady. This is a rookie quarterback on the road going against a team that's not as terrible as they've looked the last couple of weeks. How can we not, Chad? How can we not take this big of a number? Again, if this was less than a touchdown, maybe I'd hesitate about it. But no, crazy value. This is going to be in my money line parlay, my round robin. This is gross. It's ugly. You love to bet these ones because you get the rare opportunity. If it's a rookie on the road that's favored by more than a touchdown, it, you just historically you need to fade these positions so uh, nothing's changed still love Houston feel even better about it now that the Patriots have all these injuries to their offensive line yeah Patriots have a lot of offensive line injuries professional betters especially have been unpacking the Bucks game seeing a lot more holes in that offense than what was revealed during the game you wash away some of the hype you get back to reality that it's Mac Jones with a banged up offensive line and I think that you can't run the ball like, either yeah, that's, that's a it, huge red flag. Yeah. So people really start to like it. I also feel like we're seeing right now, Sean Payton, Mike Tomlin, Bill Belichick. They have historically been these guys who break the rules, right? You want to back Sean Payton off of a loss. You want to back Mike Tomlin in a rah-rah Mike Tomlin spot. Here we go, defense! You want to back Bill Belichick in these huge road favorite spots. Make the commitment towards the championship. That's what our goal is. Here that, what, an 863rd time? But they're anomalies because those guys also had Drew Brees since 2006, Ben Roethlisberger for the entirety of his career. They had Tom Brady since 2001. So the numbers are all going to be skewed. So now we're really going to find out this year. Are these numbers because of the coaches and their scheme, or were they just riding the tail, the long tail of these quarterbacks who put them in really good spots and otherwise untenable positions for most coaches and most quarterbacks? That's what we're going to be trying to take advantage of all these situations where people are going to be betting on old trends and things they used to see. And we're hopefully going to catch them, you know, 
in these positions where it's like, no, this number for this Patriots Houston game should be seven, six and a half. It's eight and a half, nine, because the respect to Belichick and what he's done historically against rookie quarterbacks. But man, that's that's a big, big number to to back Mac Jones and no run game. Yeah. All right. Well, the other game that I think we're going to have to talk about for the money line and plays into this conversation, the Dolphins against the Buccaneers, Dolphins plus 10. We're going to want to parlay the Dolphins and the Texans. I know it's gross. Give me the odds on parlaying right now, the Dolphins and the Texans on the money line. It was 20. It was like 20 to one, their money line parlay. Again, we're going to go, we're going to go over our round robin this week. Those two are definitely going to be in there. I just, it's just situational plays. Like you just talked about, we have Miami, Coming off three straight losses, I mean, say what you want about Brissett. Against these cornerbacks, he might he might look like an all-star. I mean, this is this is a bad group right now for uh, the Buccaneers. So 10 points, Miami's defense is way better than they're getting credit for. Brady doesn't have Gronk. I, I feel like people don't get how big of a deal that is. We saw it affect him in the red zone. They could not finish these drives last week. If we have Xavier Howard on Mike Evans or you know, Godwin. I just feel like there's enough pieces for this Miami team to keep those close where, again, I had this power rate at seven and a half. It opened at 10 and a half, 11. I thought I was getting three points of value that, you know, to me, that's huge. So yeah, I've been on Miami going to keep betting them. I'll, I'll take them down to eight and a half at this point. Of course, Chad, we're going to have their money line and a couple of bets. Cause again, this is a last possession kind of game. We respect the hell out of Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. We don't respect that defense, and we see the pieces that Miami has on offense. They could get Waddle right in this game. They get Devontae Parker right in this game. This is just a nice matchup for this Miami team. So give me those points, Chad. We love it. Look, fellas, I am sick of this okay? I can't stand much more of this. It's a joke. It's a joke. Love it. Love it. I am feeling so confident putting both the Texans and the Dolphins in our final five, and that's a (laughs) recipe for disaster. Truly, it truly is. That's why I like I'm I'm happy now if we do end up with the Chargers in there, because at least we'll have one smart favorite in there. And by the way, we're gonna end up with the Giants, Browns, Texans, Dolphins, and Bengals. I I guarantee that's where we're gonna end up. I mean, we uh, should just put it out there now. Bengals is that's our big balls better of the week. Big balls better of the week. We're going in order. Oh, you have a, you have a piece of paper? Yeah, I got it all on a piece of paper right here. Listen to me. My Thursday mornings have become my favorite morning of the week because it's not a morning where I work out. I've, I've got my workouts to, to Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So I, and I have blocked out my calendar. I have blocked out 8 AM to 10 AM on my calendar. And it just says pod prep. All I'm doing, reading, listening to podcasts, like the action network podcast with Raybon and Stucky, which I love reading Brandon Anderson's column on actionnetwork.com about his leans for every game, just sort of getting in the headspace so I can start to refine and be ready for this podcast and also get ready for talking to her later on in the, on the volume podcast with him. I, I get notes, I get organized. I've got things in a Google doc. I've got things on paper. It's my favorite. It's my favorite two hours of the week. Amazing. Sounds amazing. It is so much fun. Here's a game that we talked a lot about a lot of action going the other way. And I'm wondering if you're still on the right side here. You loved Carolina minus three and a half. Uh, you know that sometimes I can be influenced by Raybon and Stucky on their podcast. They so loved the Eagles in this spot for every single, for 
for on the field, for systems, for precedent, for Jalen Hurts, for matchups? Do you still love the Panthers? They probably just are number nerds, and they just saw, you know what? Hurts is unbelievable against the Blitz. Carolina Panthers is the highest blitzing team. Don't yes, think about that's it. exactly what it was. That's is what it really? got me. No, so like I saw that number two. Um, yeah, that's that's great, but that's like saying that okay, the Carolina coach that coaches their defense is an idiot, and he can't look at the same data that all of us nerds can pull up online and see. So, okay, that's that's a fair reason to back them. Mine, my, my more fading the Eagles here is just if you believe in Carolina, you think they're a good team, they bounce back after that loss. The Eagles, a team we don't think that's good that has major holes on their defense. Again, I think Hertz is a good quarterback. We, we talked, I bet him to win MVP just because I saw him putting up these fantasy numbers. The, the guy, he can put up crazy numbers every week. This defense has major issues on this Eagles team. Dallas, I think they gave up 41, and then they just gave up 40 again last week to Kansas City. Scary, 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 scary. So I'm fine with not putting it as one of our best five, but I, I will still be back in the Panthers. Just feels like a professional trap for the Eagles this week. Just like I think it opened at four and a half, five, and now it's only down to three and a half. So the pro money is coming heavy on it. A little bit like they're overlooking the major issues on this Eagles team. So I can't hate it because they literally just played Dallas and then they just played since uh Kansas City Chiefs. So of course you you would see the Eagles bouncing back here. This is just a bet on Carolina team. They play great at home and I like them in this position. So I, I'm still still betting Carolina. All right, this is a pass for me. This cannot be in our final five. I'm much more comfortable going with teams that uh, haven't won any games and have unproven quarterbacks and not very good coaches uh, than going with a team that I actually think could end up uh, representing the NFC in the Super Bowl and the Carolina Panthers. So let me make that decision. Let me be that rational. Yeah, I won't fight you on it. You know I love dogs. So anytime we pass on a favorite, I'm fine with it. All right, let's get to... Big balls, better the week. We're taking the Bengals plus three against the Packers. Everything lines up here. You're getting calls from your buddies saying you're a coward for not taking the Bengals at three and saying you got to wait to get him at three and a half. We got 81% of the action coming in on the Packers right now. This is telling us every system, every matchup, is saying, take Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, who says, I want the ball in my hands against the Packers secondary that is now without Jair Alexander, who's the only guy who's really keeping that thing together. I think the Bengals go in the money line parlay. I don't know what to think. I'm just terrified of this matchup. I love the Bengals. I love the number. Like we talked about, I want a three and a half. Them calling me a coward, that's putting it nicely. It was much harsher than that. Um, they wanted to check my credentials at the door. It was kind of one of those calls. Um, <laughs> what did you say? It's my nerves, sir. I, I just can't stand it anymore. Well, hell, you're just a goddamn coward. You won't have sons of bitches who are afraid to fight stinking up this place of honor. You hear me? You goddamn coward! Yeah, we love we love this number. It's a home dog. I have this weird view of the Bengals that it's skewed because of Zach Taylor. I just do not like Zach Taylor. We talked about that coming into the year. Joe Burrow looks like the saving grace of that team. We just talked about all the injuries the Packers have to that defense. I have faith that if this guy has the ball and all we need is him to drive the field, kick a field goal, either win it or at least give us the push. I like it. I, I just, it's a smart number taking this plus three. Maybe we'll see it this year with green Bay that, you know, they're a better at home than on the road kind of team. 
And we saw them play a really close game with the 49ers. 49ers now looking like they might not be that good of a team. Same with that Saints game. But that was that was glaring. They literally got blown out by the Saints week one. Then the following week, Detroit was beating them at halftime and then fell apart in the second half. So, again, there's a bunch of little red flags here with this Green Bay team. And I have no issue backing this Bengals team at home. And, you know, at halftime, you were down 24 to 10 to Green Bay. And we just text each other and say, God damn it, Chad, why do we do that to ourselves? But you know what? We're not going to say that. You know why? Tell me. Because Joe Burrow's magic and he's going to come back. Then it's just a pro number. Like, I, I, I just feel like this is a smart bet. This is one of these you, you make year in, year out, and you're going to hit it at a higher clip than 60%. So got no problem making this our big balls better of the week. Me neither. I'm excited about it. Here's another one. Really interesting. Saints, Washington football team. We talked about this the other day. Game opened at pick. Immediately, the Saints got bet up. We said we liked the Washington football team at plus one and a half. It is now at two in a lot of places. The lines moved up. We're 48 hours later. Have we reconsidered our position? Because there's a lot of thing about the Saints and the Saints defense that make me think maybe we're spending too much time thinking about Jameis Winston and what he can do to fuck up a bet and not enough about, like you said, Sean Payton, like coaches are pretty smart. Sean Payton is not letting Jameis Winston lose the game. He is putting the ball in Taysom Hill's hand inside the red zone. Their defense is scary good. Washington football team's defense is 29th in the league and much, 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 much worse than we thought. And Taylor Heineke, we don't know what he is yet. Is he a rocket ship, Kurt Warner, undiscovered gem? Or is he like a Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, magic moments mixed with crazy turnovers? Now, do you think Daniel Jones is a good quarterback at all, Chad? I think he's mediocre. I think he's mediocre and has moments, and I would still bet him on the road, and I wouldn't mind putting him in our five, and we're going to talk about that, but I know the comparison you're going to make. Go ahead. No, my, my big point is that this Saints team that's supposed to be good, they just gave up the most passing yards last week to the one Daniel Jones. So he had, I think, 400 yards passing last week against the Saints defense. Something's going on there. They, they got issues. The fact that they didn't get up at home in that game after the hurricane, like that was their home opener, and they let the Giants come back and end up beating them in overtime. Scary, scary, scary with the Saints team. I guess you're right. Maybe I won't be putting too much on this Washington team at two, at plus two, but I guarantee you this is going to be a lot of a lot of teaser love. This is a great number to tease up. So give me the six points, get it up to eight. This is this is great. I'm happy to take Washington in this position, but yeah. I'm fine with staying away from it. We're way too many questions this Washington front four. Um, they just have not gotten home. They have not been the disruptors they were last year. You got to have major balls betting uh, Ben Winston on the road here after what we saw last week where he got replaced by Taysom Hill. So I, I'm I'm cool in my position in Washington. But yeah, as our best five, no, I, I've moved this out of probably my top 10 of bets I'm making this weekend. I agree. It's not, it's, it's, it's an ugly, ugly game. Too um, ugly. Yeah. Ugly. Like, I'm so much more comfortable betting ugly with the Bengals and Joe Burrow than I am betting ugly with Taylor Heineke or Jameis Winston. That's fair. I'm more comfortable speaking of betting ugly with Daniel Jones at plus seven on the road against the Cowboys in an overinflated line. I'm putting that in, in our top five. I'm getting like deja vu flashbacks of them losing by 10 to Dallas. And I needed Danny Jones to drive the field to get me a field goal. And he couldn't do it because it's Daniel Jones. He turned back into a pumpkin. But 
Still, still betting it. Still taking the seven. Had to set six, so it's a good number. Divisional game. We we always take the Giants on the road. This is what we do with them. So yeah, overinflated in the fact that Dallas has just looked unstoppable the last couple of weeks. So we we might be stepping in front of a train here, Chad. But at this number in a divisional matchup, got no issue taking the Giants here. Well, this is one of those spots. Look, we talked about this on Tuesday. You uh, uh, Sunday night, Monday morning. At the Cowboys 20 to 1 to win the Super Bowl, but the Cowboys uh at some odds to have the best record in the NFL. And, the and got the Giants in the same night at seven and a half. So right. And, well, there you go. And like this, this is one of those weeks where you start to learn a little bit about who the Cowboys are. You learn a little bit more about what models and numbers mean in the long haul. And in the long haul, if you're doing this, then you got to bet this number. You can't just base it on what you think the situation is this week. This is how these games play out. Divisional games, the Giants on the road the past couple of years, long, bigger numbers than normal. Everything says bet the Giants plus seven. We're going to do it. We said it to Simon Says bet. Stick with it. All right. Let's talk about this Browns-Chargers game. Because w- when we talked about it on Tuesday, I said to you, we're betting the Chargers. You said the bookmakers are telling us something. If everyone is looking at this with an eye test of the Chargers are the right side, the bookmakers are telling you something. And now you're getting feedback from your buddies that we're idiots. Meanwhile, I've been doing more research and feeling more and more comfortable with the Browns. That's hilarious. I was I love the Browns in this position just because I love their defense and I just love the way they've been playing and how this game was going to set up. But I can't deal with the Baker injury because, again, I the reason I like the Browns so much wasn't because of Baker. It was because of their running style and how he's going to perform against this Chargers defense. You've literally tied the team with an arm behind their back. So all we need to do for the Chargers is just stack the box and try to make Baker with one arm pass against us, which, again, it's his throwing arm that got injured, I believe. So I'm with you, Chad. Like, that's the thing. Like, the pros, they reached out to me. They love this number. And they're saying we should take this up to three. That's my job. Like it's my job isn't to just be so into my own system. I don't listen to anyone else. It's the when I get this information and pass it along and say, you know what? I, I was missing something here. Sure enough, it came out today that Baker had the injury. So that's the thing. I don't have the resources a lot of these old time guys have. When they're reaching out to me and they're giving me information, I need to really listen to it because obviously they're hitting it from you know good information themselves. So uh, I don't like doing it, but I'm with you. This is like now becoming one of my favorite plays. If we have a banged up. Baker Mayfield going against arguably a top three defense in the Chargers. We have to take the Chargers here, don't we? Well, the, the problem is, even if the Chargers stack the box, their run defense is terrible. And that's the, that is the one thing we know the Browns will be able to do. That's so why I love them. You love them because you're saying the Browns will be one dimensional and the Chargers have a chance to only focus on doing that. Love the Browns coming in just because of that run game. The fact that that that's all that Staley needs to prep for now against this team. That's just, again, it, it shifts it back to the Chargers where this is just a big advantage, especially now that they know that Baker's hurt. Like that's out in public information. Now it's, it's just a bad, it's just a bad setup for this Browns team. So are we saying we want to put the Chargers in? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Kind of have to. Oh my goodness. All right. I love that. We are making a wise guy play here. We are making the wise guy play because this is what the guys in Vegas are telling us to do. I can't believe it. Those are the games that we all, that, that we talked about the most dolphins, Texans, giants, chargers, Bengals. The Cincinnati Bengals came roaring back. 
Right now, those are our five. Am I, am I misinterpreting anything? I like that for our five. Bills Chiefs. You said you like the Chiefs at two and a half. We like the Bills at three and a half. If it's on three, then there's no real advantage. Getting a lot of research and rumblings, listening to Stucky and Rayburn on the Action Network pod, go subscribe, go download, rate, review, five stars. About how much they love the Bills in this spot. Of course they do. Everyone loves the fucking Bills in this spot, Chad. The Bills have looked better. They've played better. They have the better offense. The Bills make me want to kick your heels up and shout. Throw your hands up and shout. Throw your head back and shout. Come on now. The Bills are making it happen now. Man, Mitchell can attest to it. Josh Allen just has not looked right yet this year. I, again, their team has been winning. But he's had little hiccups. Like, again, that game they started against Houston, his first pass was an interception. He's just had little things like that where I love Josh Allen. I love this Bills team. I think they are much better this year than I thought they were going to be because I thought he was going to have major regression in Josh Allen. But that team is just built so smart with so many weapons that they're going to be fine this year. This is just a bad position for them to be in. I flip-flop every day because, like we just talked about, if this was three and a half, I would like the Bills because I think this is that close of a matchup. But if you're going to give it me an under a field goal on this Chiefs team at home, Mahomes, I take that every time just because I believe that much in Mahomes. So I get what they're thinking there, uh, Stucky, but I don't have the gahonies to make this kind of bet. Like This is one of my smaller bets of the week, betting the Chiefs, because there just isn't that much value, in my opinion, on this game. I think your gahonies are plenty big, buddy. Don't. <laughs> well, don't he's the only that. person I knew that would, would took the Patriots money line last week. So Stucky's a legend in his own right. The Survivor Pool Pick of the Week. Let's talk about a survivor. Vikings? Oh, I fucking hate it. Like, there's a couple other teams we could choose, but when else will we use the Vikings? This is the only time they get a home game against Detroit, the worst team in their division. Oh, I hate it, Chad. By the way, this is the team everybody's going to choose. So I know, everyone is. That's why I hate it so much. And like we lost last year on the Vikings in this exact spot playing the third string quarterback and the Cowboys. And they lost at home, but we have to. It's the fact that they lost so bad last week against the Cleveland, only getting seven points at home. Only reason honestly, I feel that much better about taking this number. So I'm I'm going to be trying to middleman here because I'm taking Detroit's number, but I will be playing the Vikings in our survivor contest because that's just. We have to do it. We have to get rid of the Vikings. We'll tweet it out Sunday morning, but I would say it's a 98% chance that we end up with the Vikings as a survivor pick. And now a word from our friends at FanDuel. The NFL is back and FanDuel Sportsbook wants you to get the most out of every play. That's why they're giving everyone a $10 risk-free bet every week. All you have to do is bet a same-game parlay bet with three legs or more. And if your bet doesn't win, FanDuel will pay you back up to $10. For example, this Sunday, I'm considering the Bengals' money line, the under, and Jamar Chase to score a touchdown. I love betting at FanDuel because it's America's number one sportsbook app. I get paid out fast when I win, and there's no feeling like nailing a same-game parlay bet. So lock in your bets today on FanDuel Sportsbook and get up to 10 bucks back. If your bet doesn't win, new to FanDuel Sportsbook, they're also offering a risk-free $1,000 bet if you prefer that. Just sign up with promo code favorites, and if your first bet loses, you get up to $1,000 back in site credit. That's promo code favorites. Must be 21 and over and present in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. 
Refunds issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max refund, $10. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Same game parlays available for multiple sports in all states on both mobile and web. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, New Jersey, Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-889-9789 in Tennessee. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. Let's get back to the show. Moneyline Ron Robin, who's in there? All right, buddy. Texans, Dolphins, Bengals. Yep, I got no issue putting the Bengals in there. We're just looking for literally just to shock the world and things that don't make sense but will after the fact. Like the Jets and the Giants last week. Exactly. That did not make sense to bet at the time. But afterwards, people go, you know what? Actually, now looking at it, it kind of makes sense. 49ers, we got a Cardinals team hyped up to the, you know, the highest of highs. Cardinals either going to blow this team out in the 49ers or 49ers are going to win this game. So let me fade the hype train. Love, love, love divisional matchups like this. We got a rookie quarterback playing in Trey Lance. So the Cardinals really, really aren't going to know how to defend this guy or prepare for him. Give it to me. That's a big number. Plus 190 on the money line right now. That's right. So that could be our fourth leg. And then I'm sorry to do it. I'm sorry to do it to you people, but we have to do it because it's it's a home dog value. Give me the Jacksonville Jaguars money line. Uh, oh, they haven't geez. won. I think they're going on 19 or 20 weeks. Yep. I will keep losing money betting their home money line, but this is this is what I have to do. Tennessee, I believe, have 21 players on the injury list right now. There's only 22 starters on the team. They <laughs> got 21 injuries. So... A lot of this round robin is fading teams with injuries right now. So Tennessee Titans is a really heavily injured team. We're fading them. Patriots injured team. We're fading them. And the Buccaneers are very heavily injured team. We're fading them. So we're just trying to find value in teams playing a lot of these backups at key positions. So I get it. A lot of drama in Jacksonville, but this is one of these games where the team could come together if they like urban and win. And if it keeps staying this low at four, it kind of feels like Vegas is telling us something here. So uh, I got no issue throwing this in as our fifth fifth play in our round robin. Big balls bet of the week. Bengals plus three from earlier this week on Tuesday. The Sun says bet was the Giants plus seven. Our Foxhole bet was Miami plus 10 against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The five that we're thinking about right now. But again, we will update on Sunday. Look in the Action Network gap. Dolphins, Texans, Bengals, Giants, Chargers. The Moneyline round robin parlay will include Dolphins, Jags, Texans, Bengals, Niners. Wow, we ask so much of people to do really gross, disgusting things. But look, it pays off, right? Week one, we had a couple money line round robin parlays that paid off. Four and one. Yeah, last week, last week we had the Jets and the Giants in a money line round robin parlay. We had Seattle in there too. Like sometimes it works. Yeah, it hits. Ugly dogs win. So that's. uh, It's looking crazy right now, but it just feels like we're up for another wonky week where there's just a lot of big, big dogs that shouldn't be these big of dogs. All right, listen, stick around because Seth Wickersham, Simon, and I uh, have a great conversation about his book, It's Better to Be Feared. Enjoy. All right. I've been talking about this book, It's Better to Be Feared, for months. We've mentioned it on the podcast several times. We talked about it on Tuesday. Finally, we have the author, Seth Wickersham, longtime senior writer at ESPN. You've seen him all over the airwaves promoting It's Better to Be Feared, his genius opus on the New England Patriots dynasty. 
Uh, he's a very close friend, one of my closest friends. I'll say that off the top. Um, Seti, without a doubt, one of the best sports books ever written. Can't even, you can't even deny it. Like you got so inside one of the most difficult subjects to get inside, which is a mysterious secretive team in a mysterious secretive league uh, that is run by mysterious secretive people who don't want anyone snooping around their business. And you fucking nailed it. So nice job. The past 10 days, it's been the only thing people in the sports world are talking about. Um, and I'll say this. I feel like with all the news that's going on with the book, and everyone's been talking about it, especially in the lead up to the Patriots-Bucks game, about the Brady-Belichick relationship and uh, sort of those moments that are very inside about their breakup or how they felt about each other. It's kind of missing the point because to me, like this is as intimate a portrait of three people in Belichick, Brady, and Kraft that have been keeping their lives very, very secret for a very long time. I feel like people aren't talking about that enough. Do you feel the same way? Do you feel like there's intimacy here that is being overlooked and because of the sort of sensational aspects of the reporting? I think it's, thanks, man. First of all, I, I think it's both. I think that, look, number one, when you have, you know, dialogue in there that includes swear words, you know, from those people, maybe sometimes even about each other in moments, in, in moments of, you know, exhaustion and, and, and out of patience, um, you know, I think that that stuff, obviously, people gravitate to, gravitate to, but I think it actually speaks to the themes you were talking about. And let's pick one of them, for instance. Um, a quote that got a lot of attention was from Robert Kraft. It was in the fall of 2018. He was at a business conference, one of these kind of rich guys business conferences in Aspen, and, and he's in the hotel lobby. And, you know, he says, paraphrasing here, he says, you know, you come here and you meet the most brilliant minds. I really hate to leave this place because you know, I have to go to Detroit and be with the biggest effing a-hole in my life, my head coach. And, you know, that got a lot of attention. But when you look at it within the context of Robert Kraft, who, for the most part, masterfully kept the band together for 20 years, despite all of the pulls of ego and fame and entitlement that might come with winning as much as they did, you know, it's probably the thing that's going to get him into the Hall of Fame. And that doesn't mean that it didn't come without managerial challenges at times. And I think that was one of those times where he was just feeling a little tired about it all. I have so many favorite parts of the book. I want to hear from you. What was your favorite part of the book to report? My favorite part of the book generally is, so it's divided into three parts. Part one is kind of the joy of the rise. It's the first three Super Bowls and, you know, kind of plateauing in that 2006 season, you know, ending around there where, um, you, you know, the, the Patriots in a lot of ways were just, were a version of America's team. I mean, there really wasn't the, the, the hatred that you sort of see right now for that team. So that's part one. Part two is the 10 year gap that they didn't win a Super Bowl. And part three is the reclamation of the dynasty and how it kind of ended up dissipating. And my favorite part of the book, generally speaking, is part two, because, and that goes from 2007 to midway through the third quarter of January of 2015, because you had Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, who had already established Hall of Fame careers at that point, but they weren't quite able to accomplish their goal. They had plateaued 
at the highest possible level you can without plateauing as Super Bowl champions and how they decided and the ways that they chose to try to get better and to dig a little bit deeper and to be a little bit more imaginative and creative and think outside the box about how they could get back to that status that they had attained to me is the most interesting part of things because you just don't see that that often in professional sports. I think that that drive that they showed during that time and the fact that it ended up working is about as rare as their six championships together. What specifically did they do in that time that helped them transform? Well, with Tom Brady, it's it's now a business, but it's essentially when he founded his program, his TB12 method. Um, I, I, I write about in the book being in his apartment and we were sitting in his living room talking in March of 2013. And um, this guy walks into the living room. He had this elevator that just opened right into his house, his apartment in, in, in downtown Boston. And this guy just enters the living room behind me. And I look around and um, Brady's like, Alejandro. <laughs> and um, they get up and they hug and they make small talk. And, you know, I had seen Alex Guerrero around Tom Brady a little bit, but I'd never talked to him about it. So I was like, well, what's his role? And I remember and I, I wrote about it, Brady was like, you know, it's, it's really hard to describe what he does. And in fact, it wasn't, um, you know, Brady at that time was making clear that he wanted to play into his forties and Alex Guerrero's job more than anything was to make it happen. <laughs> he was the one who to never say no to Tom Brady, to never say you can't do this. And so they obviously developed their own methodology that by the way, was also at odds with the Patriot way, the Belichick way. And then with Belichick, I think that one of, my, one of my favorite moments that I kind of got into was midway through the third quarter of the 2015 divisional round. They're hosting the Baltimore Ravens. They're down by 14 points against a team that's just not afraid of them. And it looks like they're going to lose. And, you know, it's going to get them bounced once again in the first round of the playoffs. Jimmy Garoppolo had just finished his rookie year. You wonder if, like, if they had been bounced again, you know, what would that have dynamic looked like? Would Tom Brady have been back? Who knows? And Belichick dusts off the play, the funky formations and the play called Baltimore and Ravens. There was two different versions of it. And um, he, the, the original name of that play was called Fight Song. And it was originated by Lane Kiffin. And he called it Fight Song because he said, when we run it, we're going to score. And they lifted it. Nick, uh, Lane Kiffin brought it with him to Alabama. Alabama ran it. The Patriots lifted it and kind of changed it a little bit. So they deployed this, these two plays midway through the third quarter, and it not only worked in the sense that it got them back in the game, re-energized the crowd, but one of the, the themes that I write about in the book is how Belichick gets inside the heads of the best coaches in the league and often finds ways to use their traits and personalities and confidence against them. He knew that John Harbaugh, great coach of the Ravens, but someone who's kind of known for having a quick fuse, would lose his SHIT over this play, especially when they ran it no huddle because the Ravens wouldn't have a ton of time to adjust. And sure enough, John Harbaugh had a meltdown and got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty in the third quarter of that game. So in a matter of minutes, Belichick had, had closed, Belichick and Brady really, and Josh McDaniels had closed a 14 point score, re-energized the crowd, sent the opposing head coach into a tailspin and they end up winning that game, which kind of ends up reigniting the dynasty. John Harbaugh is livid about this one. 
they would announce the eligible player, then Tom would take him to the line right away and snap the ball before we had a chance to even figure out who was lined up where. And that was the deception part of it. It was clearly deception. I don't know what's deceiving about that. Hey, those guys got to study the rule book and, you know, figure it out. <laughs> we obviously knew what we were doing. Okay, so there's two things in there. One, you talk about Brady and the chapter about uh, Guerrero in 2013. To me, Brady, for many, many years, comes across in this book as so self-aware. And there's a couple scenes very early. It's when he is willing to meet with the sports psychologist at Michigan. It's when he's living with his buddies as a backup quarterback in a condo near Foxborough. It's when he signs that new deal and is playing air guitar with Nugent, the offensive lineman, and like recognizing he's a, a multimillionaire and screaming it out loud. It's so like joyful and innocent. And you talk about that and like telling his parents after the Super Bowl, everything's going to change. I'm going to change. You're going to change. And then 2013 to me feels like when he completely loses that self-awareness. What happened? I think his fame exploded to a level that and has continued to explode to a level that warps the mind so much that, you know, he's almost become a version of that global elite for whom human longevity is human destiny. Um, you know, I think that when you reach a certain level of fame, I'm not saying that he's disconnected from who he used to be, but you're kind of disconnected from the realities of a lot of a people, a lot of people, no matter how hard you try to retain that. And yeah, you know, it's one of the kind of character arcs that I tried to show with him. Um, and, 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 you know, he talks a lot about his mental toughness and how he acquired this mental toughness. He's very proud of that. And so I wanted to try to figure out like how he did this. When you're trying to talk about Tom Brady's greatness, you're asking like, well, how did he get mentally tough? And um, it goes back to one night he had in Michigan. He was buried on the depth chart and he tells Lloyd Carr that he's going to transfer to Cal where he can, you know, basically play almost right away as soon as he's eligible. And that night he meets with Greg Harden, his sports psychologist. And he says, yeah, I'm going to go to Cal. I'm not seeing the field here. I may not ever play. And you think about all the ways that a sports psychologist could react. He could um, give him a hug. <laughs> he could reply with tough love. And Brady at the time was a self-described whiner. And Greg Harden starts laughing at him in the office and he starts laughing and he says, if you leave, no one's going to care anyway, because you haven't done anything here. You want to leave, go ahead. And that really kind of reignited Brady's competitive spirit. And his, his dad later told me once he decided to stay at Michigan, he had to kind of own that decision and lose some of those, you know, traits that he came in and, and become more mature. And I love that you just talked on that, where that's one of my favorite things about Brady. He might have been disconnected at that point, Chad, from what he used to be. But that competitive edge, that killer instinct, like the thing that we talk about, you're just he's not the most athletic. He's not the smartest quarterback ever to play. He outworked everyone that's ever played the game. I mean, we still hear stories about this guy. Again, he's 40, he's 44 at this point or 45, and he's still in the offseason reaching out to receivers, throwing patterns. My biggest takeaway from your book, this seems like a man that is not just so obsessive 
but just a man that literally his life, again, he has a wife, he has kids, he loves them, he spends time with them. It's football. Like this man literally, he he's watching film at the dinner table in his 21st season. Like this guy, I feel like we're never going to see another player like him where like he put his whole life into it. Again, we talked about his regimen with uh, Alex Guerrero. The man won't eat the wrong calorie in the last 10 years because he, he is just down to the wire about everything he does. Has there ever been a player that you've studied and been around that has these kind of qualities or he truly one of a kind? Oh, it's both. I mean, I think that's one of the most interesting things about Brady as far as like global and worldly as he is, he's not exactly the most well-rounded person. He, he has no hobbies. And as he said, he has this little sickness inside him that makes him want to throw a spiral. And I remember um, when Chad and I worked together at ESPN in 2013, I believe, um, we published, you know, one of the greatest stories of all time by Ray Thompson on Michael Jordan. And it was in time for his 50th birthday. And the entire story was a fascinating read just because it was such a raw look at what it's like to be around Jordan on a day-to-day basis when this thing that you have, this, this intense competitiveness that's both kind of enriched and subtracted from your lives refuses to go out. But he also had a line in there where Jordan said, you know, I would give everything away to go back and be able to play the game of basketball. I think that when Brady's 50 years old, assuming he's retired by then, whether he admits it or not, I think that he'll probably have those thoughts. You mentioned, Simon, I'm glad you bring that up because you mentioned Giselle and having a family. She's one of my favorite characters in the book because she is so fiery and passionate and protective and it's not sort of the stuff that is well reported about when she goes off on Wes Welker in the Super Bowl against that second Super Bowl against the Giants and he should have caught that pass or whatever it's when she meets the Michigan sports psychologist like the warmth that she has for him explains sort of that scene because it's really to me that that defines the book. Like that's the intimacy that is at the core of this book is how she reacts to this person who was so important to her husband. Yeah, Brady and his wife were in Ann Arbor and there was an anniversary uh, event for the Michigan National Championship team of 1997, which Brady of course was a backup on. And um, they were at a steakhouse and um, it was interesting because obviously Brady's a backup on that team. Charles Woodson and Brian Greasy were the, were the superstars. And in, even in 2007 at this dinner, Brady's fame and success is many magnitudes greater than anybody else who was on that team. And he's sitting at a table with Giselle and Greg Harden comes over and they make eye contact and she goes, oh, I know who you are because he had told her about him. And, and frankly, you know, Tom still talks to Greg Harden and Greg Harden still does, you know, what he does. Um, in 2013, for instance, you know, Brady had won one Super Bowl and his entire life had changed. And it, you know, fame had come to him the way that it always does at warp speed with no time to adjust or think about it or strategize. You're just kind of a kite in the wind. And he was struggling to adjust to it. And, you know, he was giving into some of those whiny impulses that of course, Chad, when he managed me, saw in me sometimes. Um, and he's complaining to Greg Harden about all these things he can't do. He can't go to the gas station. He can't do this. People are following him home or he thinks people are following him home. So he has to drive long ways anyway. And Greg Harden again starts laughing at him. And he says, you know, you want to be 
the best in the world or what you do, but you don't, you don't want all this stuff that comes with it. And he was like, right now you can pick up a phone and change a kid's life in five minutes. You're the hot cookie right now and you're not going to be the hot cookie forever. So you should take advantage of this while you've got it. Of course, it turns out Brady's been like the hottest cookie ever and he's still the hot cookie 20 years later. And he'll never stop being a hot cookie. He's a hot cookie. You mentioned earlier sort of the Robert Kraft moment where he, you know, says, I got to go deal with this fucking asshole. And part of the, the, the reason it feels sensational is because he's swearing, right? There is a chapter of this book that is just called, that's a lot of fuck use. I think the secondary through line of this book is, and that you've done this incredibly well for the past six, seven years, is reporting on the power dynamic of the NFL. Like you've turned NFL ownership, NFL management, NFL senior levels at the, um, at the league level into a beat and have gotten all this behind the scenes stuff. And some of these things are to me as fascinating and interesting and then pull back the curtain on the league as anything about the Brady, Kraft, Belichick dynamic. When you're reporting that stuff, how much fun is it to get it and know that you have it? It's a ton of fun. The NFL is the game that fans in America care about the most and they know about the least. And so anytime you can sort of show how these meetings go, it's awesome. I mean, I've been doing it for years, especially with my co-author, Don Van Natta. Um, you know, we did it a lot during the, the anthem protests in 2017 with, the pre with President Trump. And, you know, that stuff is just cool. And I really enjoy it. And there's actually a really interesting craft moment that chapter you alluded to was during the 2011 collective bargaining agreement negotiations where there was the lockout and Myra Kraft was on her deathbed and Robert Kraft was leaving Myra to go try to negotiate and she died. And some of the owners at her funeral were coming up to the union chief, Demora Smith, and trying to negotiate the, the deal with him at a funeral. And then later, they're all in a room together the negotiations are down to off-season workout time. As we all know, that's been reduced with almost all of these collective bargaining agreements. And so the union wanted to reduce it drastically, the off-season practice workload. And Don Mara, the uh, owner of the Giants, protests this. And he's like, well, the, the coaches and the GMs are going to be pissed off about this. And Kraft kind of looks at him and he's just like, I'm paraphrasing here, I don't care if they're upset. We're not going to kill a deal this well because some head coaches and GMs are upset about off-season practices. And it was kind of a watershed moment because the players realized that Robert Kraft was truly trying to broker a deal and took their side on a key issue. It's amazing. The whole book is amazing. I wanted to do really well. Steph, I would love to get your view on the most recent game. Me and Chad talked yesterday about the Patriots-Buccaneers game. There's 57 seconds left, I believe. The Tampa Bay had two timeouts. It's fourth and three. He's about to get, kick a 56-yard field goal. Do you believe Belichick fell on his sword? That normal Belichick situations, he goes for that. But because of the respect for Brady, and I kind of feel like he was setting Brady up for that moment, he was literally going to give Brady 53 seconds in that stadium with two timeouts to go down the field and kick a field goal. I would love to hear, because so, you're so close to it, I would love to see what your view is of was Bel what was Belichick's thought process in that final, you know, fourth and three moment? What was he really thinking there? Oh, I think he wanted to win the game. And I mean, he came six inches from winning it. That's obviously a debated decision. At the time, I guess I didn't really think about it because, I mean, the field goal went off the upright. <laughs> it was so close to me, like how close it was kind of validated his decision. It was literally a tsunami. That's why, that's why I thought it was such a bizarre move by him. Because, yeah, if it's a nice sunny day, 
kick a 56 yarder. It was literally sideways ring. That was, that's what was so crazy to me. I love the game. I mean, I thought it was just fascinating to watch those two minds battle against each other on a public stage. It was, I mean, Belichick, it reminded me a lot of like the old school, like 2001 Patriots, right? Where you have a pretty good defense that lets teams move the ball, but, but, you know, gets tough in the red zone and forces a lot of these quarterbacks to settle in a lot of these great teams and offenses to settle for field goals. And then on offense, you just kind of have a ball control offense, right? And you're trying to like figure out the geometry of that and throw a screen pass or a short pass every which way you possibly can. Then with the fact that like Mac Jones came out and hit 19 straight passes at one point in a driving rain like that against the defending Super Bowl champions. And it really took all of Tom Brady to all of his ingenuity to, to beat Bill. I mean, they had him a couple of times. And no, that Frank, first down run, that first down yeah. run where he's smiling Frank, like a little kid, that was, that literally summed up that game to me. It was like, that's how you know how much it meant to both of them. Yeah, his legs ended up kind of winning the game for them. I think the Tampa offensive line played great, but weirdly enough, Brady's 44 year old legs and his ability to kind of extend plays ended up, I think, you know, kind of being the difference. And so I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I have one more question before we let you go. I have one more question. Belichick is so different in this book to me than he is in real life, right? He's so, you know, ogre-ish and not wanting to communicate and all that kind of stuff. You've got great detail about what it's like to communicate with him one-on-one and how he likes to communicate with reporters or what, when he is at his most unguarded. Reveal some of that right now and how he, he communicated directly with you. Yeah, one of the times that I, one of the things I loved in the book was just trying to learn about what it's like to work for him, right? And, you know, these days that started 4.30 in the morning and go until 11 at night and these meetings where he drives the coaches crazy because, you know, he's, he's asking about decisions over and over and over again. And, you know, they're kind of running out of patience, but, you know, he's just making sure that every, that there's not any screws loose. And, um, you know, the media was part of that. I thought it was interesting that, you know, I think there was a moment for him maybe in the years after Spygate where he was really interested in letting people see the staggering depth of knowledge that he had accumulated throughout his career. And so with myself and others, you know, he'd give windows into that and he would often, you know, wait until 11 or 1130 until his workday was done before he would talk to people. Or if he was in his office, he would kick his feet up and take his shoes and his socks off. (laughs) And uh, the coaches would talk about that in meetings, how like sometimes there were meetings where he was upset about, about games or whatever it happened and he would kick his feet up on the desk and have untied his shoes and have his socks up there. And they're just going like, Oh my God, his feet stink. We're in this stuffy room. We are going through the game, a game that we lost and he is drilling in and critiquing every bad decision that we made. All the food in the cafeteria is gone. We still haven't done our work for the night. And this thing is, you know, it's, it's almost the, the beginning of it with hours to go and no end in sight. And, you know, so anyway, I just, I enjoyed kind of like trying to show what it was like to work for him because his football genius, you know, you can't be polite all the time and you can't be a, a nice guy all the time to, you know, accomplish what he has. I mean, you have to be hard on people and you have to coach them hard and critique them hard, you know, doing it from a perspective that we're all in it together. Because as he said many times, nobody makes more mistakes than he does. Well, listen, it's a great book. That's a great story. It's revealing uh, how inside the book is to Brady, Belichick, Kraft, the dynasty, the mystery, capital R reporting. 
Seth Wickersham, it's better to be feared. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Thank you guys so much. All right. This has been the Favorites Podcast from the Volume Podcast Network. I am Chad Millman. He's Simon Hunter. Download, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Until Tuesday. Love you.